Well, taking the gospel overseas is hard work, but what about soldiers who are already serving in dangerous places? Can soldiers be missionaries? Our soldiers, our military leaders can be involved in redemptive relationships. There's a great parallel to the Great Commission. And these soldiers, they're some of the most unique people in the world. They have language training that missionaries need. They have a missional mindset. They have cultural intelligence that missionaries need. And they just have a love for the people that they're working with how soldiers can reach out with the gospel, and how we can reach soldiers with the gospel today on the Missions Podcast. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization, joined by Scott Dunford, West Coast Mobilizer and Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. And this week, we are talking to a guest who's internal uh, within ABWE, also within ABWE North America, right? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this topic, which I think could be a little controversial, maybe not. Um, But yeah, I'm not averse to controversy, so I'm totally okay with that. But uh, Rich Culp serves with ABWE's North America branch, which is called Every Ethne. He runs the Centurion Project, which exists to network and empower churches and support and strengthen military leaders in their mission and the Great Commission. And he and his wife, Jenny, are working with about a thousand, excuse me, with about a hundred churches in the Fort Bragg area in North Carolina. Rich, you and I have gotten to know each other here in time spent in the ABWE office, but why don't you tell us more about yourself and how you ended up in ministry with ABWE out of a military background? Sure. Uh, first, thank you for allowing me to come and talk with you guys. And Alex, I love your vision. A thousand churches around Fort Bragg <laughs> network together. A million churches. Yeah, let's do that. But really, it could be 100 churches around each one of the 157 operational military bases in the United Mm -hmm. States. And just think about that and the impact that that could have for the kingdom and the advance of the gospel. What I know about the area that I live in is that there's 55,000 soldiers at Fort Bragg. There are thousands of churches around Fort Bragg. And and most of the believing community of soldiers, they actually go to the churches. They don't go to the chapels. And so churches have a strategic opportunity to uh, disciple and also send soldiers all over the world. So I'm just very, very thankful to be here. And I, my story is I graduated from the Naval Academy. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. Uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, it's a longer story, but the, the Lord called me into full-time ministry. A group of elders recognized that call upon my life while I was serving at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And my wife and I, Jenny, we were involved in all kinds of ministry there in a little church discipling students, discipling soldiers involved in men's ministry and the elders recognized God's call upon my life and said, you should go to seminary. And I was like, I will never go to seminary. I am a Marine. Well, here 25 years later, um, I am working with soldiers again. And it really started a couple of years ago. Jenny and I 
were doing what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. We were discipling people, and a lot of the people that we get disciple wear the uniform. One couple in particular, they both graduated from a service academy, and um, they went off to their secondary schools, and then they were involved in uh, a number of deployments, and they came to us about three or four years into their career. And they said, our marriage, it's falling apart because we've been separated for so long. So Jenny and I, we kind of mentored them, discipled them a little bit. And um, one of the greatest memories I have is baptizing this soldier and then watching the soldier baptize his soldier wife. About two months after that baptism service, they both got orders to deploy. She deployed to Africa in a small little country. He deployed to an executive staff that was uh, in charge of watching what was going on all over the Middle East. And he was a young officer, probably a captain at the time. Um, He had never been in an operational unit in a special forces unit, um, but he was now assigned to this executive staff over the Middle East. And he's learning what it takes to be a part of one of these special teams. And they're actually kind of watching from a distance what these uh, special units are doing. Well, I'm sad to say that one of the most elite teams that was led by one of the most respected officers in the Army, he and his team actually ran over an IED. And so this soldier, this leader was killed. Well, our guy who we had been discipling, he got sent down to that particular team. And uh, no one, no one wants to follow a guy that's died in combat. But that was the assignment that our guy got. And so he went down. It was a very uh, rough deployment, as you can imagine. He was a man's man. But when he came back from deployment, he was a shell of a man. And he basically sat with me. He says, Rich, I, I don't know what to do. And I said, hold on. You know, I know a couple of guys that can help you. And I did. I knew some senior enlisted guys that uh, had been over to those dirty, dusty holes in the Middle East. And they were followers of Christ, fervent followers of Christ. And I said, you know, let me let you talk to one of these senior enlisted guys. They'll help you be a better leader, but they'll also help you be a, a stronger follower of Christ. And so I got this young officer connected with a senior enlisted guy, and it was just a beautiful story. He now is still married. Uh, They just had a kid there discipling other soldiers. But Jenny and I, as we walked through that with this particular family, we thought to ourselves, you know, what if that guy would have been in Church A or Church B on the other side of Fort Bragg and didn't have the networks that we had? What would have happened to him? What would have happened to his marriage? What would have happened to the Army? I mean, the Army's going to survive. They're going to do great. I mean, they, they replace guys all the time. But it really set um, a marker in our hearts that what a great opportunity for us to network with churches around Fort Bragg to both strengthen, and what I mean by strengthen is to do soul care and support, and that's discipleship. What if we would all work together and not just be individual churches, but we would be the church and we could disciple and strengthen uh, these military leaders in their, their mission and the Great Commission. And so that's how the Centurion Project was born. Right. So, because I want to be sensitive to the fact that some of our listeners are thinking, okay, 
why do we have a missionary in Fort Bragg? You know, th- this is the South. This is not necessarily the unreached pioneering frontiers of the world. But uh, you have a compelling vision there. And it revolves back to this fact that we as a missions agency, just ourselves personally, are doing everything that we can to get people in 70 plus countries all over the world. And I was actually in a meeting today about security. And a lot of the countries that were easy to access for missionaries are becoming restricted access. And one of our staff members here said, you know, the entire world is becoming limited access. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's not necessarily an yeah. exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having difficulty with Ireland right now. Ireland, we're not talking about somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, we're talking about Europe. We're talking about easy countries for Americans to get to for other reasons. What's interesting about the Centurion project is that the military is already sending people all over the world. And why not use that as an opportunity to place believers there, not just as soldiers, but also as missionaries. And so what does that look like for you guys? I mean, that that's a cool concept on paper, but I can see that that would be pretty hard to execute. And I, I can see voices within the military saying, yeah, we don't want our soldiers to be doing, you know, religious proselytizing of people. Um, so sketch out, you know, what does that look like for you guys? How do you, how do you actually enable soldiers to do that, to make disciples, not just of other soldiers, but even to cross cultural boundaries when they go abroad? Uh, correct. And, and that's one of the things that I need to be very careful about. Um, our soldiers, our military leaders, they can't proselytize, but they can be involved in redemptive relationships. And so that's how we're discipling them. That's how we're equipping them. The mission of the Special Forces Command, which, by the way, is at Fort Bragg, the mission of the Special Forces Command is this, to influence nations and leaders in nation building. There's a great parallel to that and the Great Commission. And these soldiers, they're some of the most unique people in the world. They have language training that missionaries need. They have a missional mindset that missionaries need. They have cultural intelligence that missionaries need. And they mm. just they just have a love for the people that they're working with. Believe it or not, I mean, a lot of people, they think a uh, soldier and they think, you know, some guy that's got camouflage on and, you know, he's got a bayonet in his teeth. But what you need to know that these leaders are some of the most compassionate and courageous uh, men and women on the planet. And so it's like God has pre-positioned them to be a part of his kingdom advance. And so, um, but, you know, back to your original point, we have to be very careful about making sure that we're discipling them to be consummate professionals. Uh, You think about the centurion in the scripture. Um, We could do a Bible study here and you know, he's the only guy that turned the head of the author and perfecter of the faith. You know, said he, Jesus said, I've never seen uh, such a faith in all of Israel. And basically what Jesus is saying is like, there's no one that compares to this guy's faith. But think about the centurion. Uh, what do you know about the centurion? We'll just have a little Bible study here. We can do that with you guys. What do you know <laughs> about the Bible study? Let's do it. Everybody get your sword out. <laughs> Good word. So we know that he's a centurion. So who does this centurion work for? Rome. Yeah. Okay. So what do we know about Rome in that day? And particularly, what is Rome's relationship with uh, Israel? It's yeah. not positive. Yeah, extremely adversarial and in many ways persecuting 
righteousness. And it was a judgment of God. The fact that Israel was subject to all these Gentile kingdoms. You see that from Daniel on that, that that was part of the covenant curses that fell on God's people at that time. Correct. But this guy, he is a leader in Mm -hmm. the largest army that has ever roamed the earth and perhaps the most violent the earth. Yeah. (laughs) You pick that up. Um, and perhaps the most violent and harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy, somehow, as it says in Luke, he was a friend to Jews. He, he contributed to the building of a temple. So he's a, a consummate professional. He, he got promoted through the ranks in the Roman army. But also, somehow, some way, this guy was cross-cultural before cross-cultural was cool. He, he really was. And so he stands out as the, uh, the lead example, I would say, as what it means to be a man of faith. And so we try to build that into the guys that we're working with. And we're, we're partnering with navigators. We're partnering with Campus Crusade. We're partnering with chaplains um, on board Fort Bragg, but it's the churches around Fort Bragg that are the uh, strategic units, if I could use that word. They're the force multipliers to actually disciple these military leaders to be involved in the Great Commission while being the most attractive thing that these guys could be is to be consummate professionals. They'll, they'll witness the uh, authority of Jesus Christ just in the way that they interact with the people that they're leading. So as you're working with these soldiers, um, you know, some of them are probably, especially the special forces. I mean, they're, they're seeing and engaging with some horrific things. Um, what are some of the unique spiritual challenges that you're seeing that, that soldiers face particularly? Yeah, Scott, thank you. So uh, one of the things that we're doing is equipping pastors around Fort Bragg to understand what, uh, combat stress is, or what is PTSD? Uh, What is it? What are the five symptom clusters that um, guys uh, manifest? And there are are five different symptom clusters of PTSD. Uh, And then what are the resources that are available? I, as a pastor outside of Fort Bragg, I knew that I needed to learn more about PTSD, but I never had the time to do it. And so what I have had the opportunity to do here in the past couple of months is to work with a leading military psychologist and also uh, one of the lead pastoral counselors at the Summit Church in Raleigh. And we're developing a, what I'm calling a sword and a spear seminar to help pastors understand what PTSD is and to uh, come alongside these guys and their families um, to uh, support them. What I have also seen, and I could give you testimony of this, um, that in the middle of brokenness, uh, God brings in blessedness. And so I can tell you at least a half a dozen stories of guys who were special forces guys. They saw and did things that humans weren't designed to see and do. But in that brokenness, the Lord really got a hold of their heart and we were able to disciple them. And now uh, there's one guy, he's actually leading his own mission in Costa Rica. He just took uh, about half a dozen guys that are in a drug rehab program. He took them to Costa Rica to work in the slums of uh, San Jose. So um, 
that that's a very important component is to understand what's going on in their lives. And for the families, the continual deployment cycle and what they call reintegration is uh, really tough for uh, the families as well. Mm. I know from even just talking to some of my family that are in the military, like just that isolation of being away from your church and just the the nature of getting a lot of guys together in a room, especially with a lot of adrenaline, a lot of uh, testosterone and, and kind of a hoorah attitude also is, is hard to even just stay like to stay pure morally. At least this was the experience of some of my family members, just like talking about just that struggle of just saying, okay, I, w- I want to keep my, my head in, in the word. I want to keep my heart in the right place, even while on deployment. What kind of resources can churches and pastors help with military to help them think through and, and really be strong as believers while they're separated from their churches for a long period of time and from their families? Uh, so there are a number of discipleship tools that we can give to guys that are deployable. You know, the tools themselves are deployable. Uh, one of the most strategic resources that we use is a, a discipleship series called Every Man a Warrior, which was written by Lonnie Berger. He used to be with Navigators, but um, it uh, gives guys a resource where they can gather other guys on the other side of the planet and maintain purity, maintain accountability, and also to encourage one another in the Great Commission. So that has been a very, very strategic resource. We've had guys leading Bible studies in Iraq and Iran. Um, And so there are a number of resources that we can put into the hands of these guys. But uh, in this digital age, I, I can text guys that are on the other side of the planet today and mm. encourage them in the word. So um, we have a, you know, a, an opportunity to hold each other uh, accountable and also to encourage each other. So it's easier today uh, than it was even 10 mm. years ago. Awesome. Well, I want to take a quick break, but I've got two questions that are going to connect this back to missions. So we'll be right back with Rich Culp from Every Ethne, ABWE North America. The Missions Podcast is back at T4G and we're going big. If you'll be in Louisville on April 15th, join us at the Ice House, half a mile from the Yum Center for the local church and the nations, a special live recording of the Missions Podcast with an expert panel. Yeah, guests that you're familiar with, guests that we've had in the show like Zane Pratt, Darren Carlson, Brooks Buser, Paul Davis, John Clausen, and George Collins will join us to answer when Jesus said to disciple all the nations, what did he mean by that? Did he mean countries or people groups or languages and making it practical what can ordinary churches do about that how we answer can make or break our strategies it'll be riveting edifying and we mentioned it's the deepest lunch in town yeah so grab your spot and your food for just ten dollars go to missionspodcast.com slash t4g or follow the link in the show notes and if you're not signed up yet for t4g our partner live global use the code t4g20 live global 10 off to receive ten dollars off your t4g registration Go into the show notes and see exactly how that's spelled. That's T4G20 Live Global 10 off. You get $10 off your registration and we'd love to see you there. Absolutely. So join us and we'll see you in Louisville on April 15th at T4G. A special message from ABWE President Paul Davis. 
ABWE missionaries are coming beside the lost and the hurting around the world. And through the Global Gospel Fund, they're pulling people from the darkness and training them as leaders. They're planting churches, and they're even beginning their own missions movements. You may already support one ABWE missionary. Would you consider a gift to the Global Gospel Fund to support all 1,000 of our missionaries? Thank you for that. Become a partner today at abwe.org slash global gospel fund. Training is the biggest common denominator in people who make it through the first two years and people who don't. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. Radius is a 10-month intensive training school that trains students who are going to church plants among the last 3,100 unreached groups left in the world. The driving burden is really to see every language group reached with a really strong, lasting New Testament church. Okay, so why should someone attend Radius International? I would say someone should attend radius because we see missionaries that don't make it because they weren't expecting the challenges that were coming at them. Everyone's going to hit hurdles. It's what you do when you hit those hurdles. If you've had those challenges at radius, you get to see those challenges. You get to experience some of them in the environment in Tijuana. And you also have capable staff that have a background and can guide you through a lot of those hurdles. And so you tend to do much better. I'm one of the team leaders. He says there's just something different about radius graduates. They understand and they get through things a lot faster and they do better on the field when the hard times come. What's your final challenge? Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. So we're back with Rich Culp, who serves with ABWE. And Rich, one of my questions for you has to do with this idea of soldiers who are going out into other countries, other parts of the world, and they are having cross-cultural experiences. I've dealt with this as a missionary recruiter of sorts and seeing this to where people come out of a military background and they think, well, I've learned a couple languages here. I've spent time living you know, in the Middle East or this place or that place. And they uh, retire from the military, but they're, they're interested in actually pursuing long-term missions themselves now, taking that experience, seizing on it, and pursuing a life on the mission field. What counsel or thoughts would you have about that? Do you think that's a good tool belt to operate out of? Um, and how would you guide someone who you were discipling if they were leaning in that direction? That is uh, one of our dreams is to actually see guys who have been deployed into restricted countries. And uh, I mean, I know a guy right now that he has five languages under his belt. There's a particular country in Africa that the last deployment that he was on, I mean, he was doing his mission Monday through Friday, but on the weekends he was doing humanitarian aid. He came back to the church and he said, Rich, I have to get back to those people. Now, He's 15 years in, so it would make sense for him to retire. And then we can start uh, getting him into the missionary, quote unquote, pipeline. Um, And so I think there's a great opportunity there, Alex. I Again, we're early in the process. We'll see how it will work out. But uh, I really do think there's a great opportunity because I know many of these guys and I've heard stories of guys that have gone back to countries and they planted churches uh, on their own. And I just think, again, the churches around each one of the operational bases in the United States, if we partner together with that mindset um, to 
build disciples who are making other disciples, whether it's in a foreign context or it's here in the United States, the, the kingdom is going to be advanced. Well, and related to that, then, you know, I've been reading a couple missionary biographies lately, and you think of the skill set that someone's going to bring to the missionary task out of a military background. There's going to be a level of self-discipline there um, that, quite frankly, I don't think a lot of people have. You know, is that an asset? How is that going to come into play in missionary life? Uh, Because so many of us do have just such cushy upbringings. And you think of somebody like Hudson Taylor, the way that he prepared himself for life in China was by you know, eating half a bowl of oatmeal for his dinner every night. And that was it, you know, kind of a thing. And, and, uh, do you, do you think someone like that's going to come in better equipped? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, as I said earlier, these guys and gals, uh, they have language training that missionaries need. They have the cultural intelligence that uh, missionary missionaries need. They also have that sacrificial lifestyle. They, they're already on mission. And so it's just a small shift to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And so, of course, and we're seeing it happen. Like I said, this one guy that had the opportunity to disciple, he's already started his own mission to Costa Rica. He goes down twice a year and he's working in the slums of San Jose and doing amazing things. And he's a leader in the army. Uh, so he's doing both. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Just as you were talking you know, on one side and you know, like nothing we've said has been controversial, but I think the controversy could come of like, seeing the danger of like mixing American uh, Americanism and like the idea of America as this, you know, powerful force in the world, you know, nation building or whatever. And, and seeing it and conflating that sometimes with the gospel, I mean, that could be the danger, but on the other hand, the, just the reality of the fact that wars exist in this world, that there is objective evil and, and there is uh conflicts that take place and whether or not America is always right in a conflict or sometimes wrong in a conflict soldiers are being moved all over the world and it's interesting as you were talking I, I couldn't help but think of of the fact of like how many missionaries uh came out of of the world war ii forces as as you know soldiers were all over the world and seeing places that they could not imagine before guys from iowa and and kansas and California and Pennsylvania and, and North Carolina are finding themselves, you know, in Japan and Korea and, uh, you know, Africa and, and seeing a different way of life and realizing, okay, you know, this is something I've never experienced before. And then God uses that later in their hearts to, to have a, a love for the people, which you've already even talked about. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how God may use, um, those kind of experiences to, to give someone a, a passion and, and a heart for that. How would you counsel someone in the military, maybe who's listening to this and saying, um, you know, I, I'm interested in, in seeing how God could use my experiences. Um, what kind of cautions would you give to someone coming out of a military background, knowing a little bit about the culture and the atmosphere and the differences between the military and ministry, you know, and even just the posture of an officer, you know, in the military, they get saluted and in a pastor who, who is, you know, very different and it should be very different as posture. Probably. How would you counsel um, someone in the military who's thinking about going into ministry? What are the pitfalls or the challenges? What are the exciting things and the, the connections that you might make uh, for them in, in that area? 
Yeah. So Scott, first, uh, thank you for using the word posture because that helps me out a whole lot. And it reminds me as we are uh, supporting and strengthening leaders in their mission and the mm. Great Commission. We're, we're using Jesus as a model. And so as soon as you said posture, it made me think of Mark chapter 10, where, you know, Jesus's disciples, they're, they're seeing that, okay, great things are coming and we're going to be on his right and his left. We're going to be these amazing, you know, kick butt leaders. Not sure that I can use mm-hmm. kick butt on this particular podcast, but yeah, you can use kick butt, but that's as far as you can go. <laughs> so, um, and you know, Jesus I love this passage in Mark chapter 10 and also in Matthew where he pulls his guys to himself and he says, you know, look at the leaders uh, of the Gentiles, how they rule over or dominate over the people that work for them or the people that they're leading. And he says to them, and I can just picture Jesus looking into the eyes of these guys and saying, not so among you. The one who wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. And the one that wants to be first, you must be the slave of all. And then he says these classic gospel words for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the posture that we're trying to disciple these leaders uh, into. It's the posture of Jesus Christ that you use your position and you use your experiences and you use your authority to leverage other people to advance them so that they might have an impact in other people's lives. And so it's um, it's a great word, posture. And that's something that we're really discipling into the guys that we have the opportunity to work with. And that's something that will be um you know, encouraging pastors of churches around Fort Bragg uh, to be mindful of. Uh, The second thing that I think, you know, I would tell any young person that's thinking about going into the military um, is that the majority of the military is um, not kicking down doors. They're, they're, They're not, again, carrying a bayonet in their teeth and, you know, carrying an M16 in their arms. The majority of what the military's mission is today around the world is nation building. It's it's hand in hand with humanitarian aid. The primary mission of the special forces is influencing leaders and nations for nation building. It's not counterinsurgency. Um, primarily, it's insurgency, which is what the gospel is. And that, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the resurrection. But at, at the end, he says, uh, then the end will come and Jesus will turn over the kingdom to his father after. And it's a strong word there, uh, destroys all of his enemies. But the way that Christ destroys enemies, how does he destroy enemies? Hmm. That make me, yeah, he, turn, he converts <laughs> that, them. Yeah, he turns exactly. Them yeah. And that's yeah. what these soldiers and all of us get to be a part of the advance of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Um, followers of Jesus Christ were citizens of a kingdom. Um, everybody in the world is subjects of that kingdom, but we get to help people move from being subjects or being 
a part of the kingdom of darkness and being transferred into uh, the kingdom of his dear son. And so really, uh, and I'll get back to what is the military doing around the world? They're, they're influencing people. And that's what we get to do as ambassadors of reconciliation. We're influencing people. So I don't know if that answers your question. I get pretty excited about all that. But um, so, yeah, I, I don't even know how to wrap this up other than say we get to be a part of the kingdom advance and the kingdom advance. It looks like influence and it looks like servant leadership. And I love that because you're taking, sorry, Scott, I I was just going to say, I I love that because you're taking, you know, the fact that there's a lot of people that, that do want to uh, rightly avoid colonialism, avoid imperialism, avoid some of these pitfalls that Western nations have fallen into through the generations. Uh, But I think some people um, can, can seize on that impulse and take a step away from missions itself in general. And recognize that's not the same thing here. There's a difference between building up the United States and building up the kingdom of Jesus. And to be able to capitalize on the unique advantages and networking and opportunities that life in the military can give you and potentially as preparation for cross-cultural service and to harness all of that and say, now let's use it for the kingdom. Uh, it's, it's, It's a great vision there. Scott, I'll let you get in there. Sorry. Yeah, it's that it's... It, using using the things that we've you you can learn in a military setting, and then real, realizing at some point you have to kind of lay those things down in the service of Christ. And um, I, I I think you're you're drawing it. Let me back up here. I I, don't, I started to say something I didn't I didn't really mean to say, but uh, but like that tension I think that that we that Christians should feel in that yes they're serving their the government, and I think that that there's a, a right way to serve our government, even to be in the military, but also recognizing that, that we serve a higher King, that, that mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, our, we are, our, our ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus, um, not to no not King to but Christ. Or, or anything like yeah, Right. And, and that our, our first allegiance is to him and, and then to our brothers and sisters in Christ and the opportunity we have. And I love the, the way that you're seeing this opportunity to take, um, a, a, a really, in some ways, vulnerable uh, section of our society. Those soldiers who are experiencing um, some some of the best training in the world, um, experiencing uh, the the world and all of its grit and grime and and horrible parts, um, but then using that and leveraging that as believers and followers of the gospel to to be able to really make an impact for Christ, and so. I, do you, do you sense that churches are excited about this vision and mission? Are you getting churches that, that are questioning this or do you get churches that are like, Hey, we, we want to be a part of that. And and even how would you uh, encourage a church that wants to get involved with this to, to be able to, to partner with the Centurion project? Yeah. So um, some churches have great excitement about partnering uh, in the network of churches around Fort Bragg. Some churches are, uh, frankly, they're trying to survive and they, they look at soldiers as a liability because they come in for three years and then they're PCSing. PCS is an acronym, permanent change of station. They're going to go someplace else. And so one of the things that I'm trying to encourage, um, 
pastors of that ilk or that mindset is it's not a liability. This is an opportunity where you can uh, bear fruit under other people's trees all over the world. If you would take the opportunity to build into the lives of these soldiers. So, uh, Scott, it's a mixed bag and we're early in the process, but to me, it's an opportunity. You know, if there's pastors that they don't think they should invest in soldiers, then I get the opportunity to influence them and to hopefully help them to see uh, the greater movement of the gospel advance, if that makes any sense at all. Do pastors like are hesitant because of just the transient nature of soldiers in in their communities? Is that the biggest hesitation or is there something else? Yeah. And that's the the PCS cycle or the permanent change of station. You know, they're only here for three years. I'm not going to invest in them because they're going to leave. And I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity to, again, send disciple makers, to send well-equipped leaders all over the world. And, you know, for me, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the redemptive narrative arc where we're made in God's image and then we're given uh, the mission of God, you know, to use technical words or the Imago Day, but the Missio Day. From the very beginning, we were called to um, cultivate and keep the garden or to advance God's purposes on the planet. And these soldiers are unique people to be able to do that. Um, one of the things that I always like to say is that the greatest work of the church is the church at work. Um, no one, no one has to go to church, but just about everybody on the planet has to go to work. And so the cool thing about these soldiers work is that their work is not just in our hometown. It's all over the planet. And so we get to be involved in the Missio Day with Mago Day people um, right here at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, down in the south. We get to <laughs> be involved with what God's doing all over the world. Well, Rich, how can people learn more about you and your ministry? Uh, so uh, first pray for us and, uh, you know, we love that and pray that there will be great reception uh, with the churches around Fort Bragg. So you can learn about uh, the Centurion Project. You can go to the ABWE website and you can learn about that uh, there. You can go to my website, which is www.centurionproject.net. Uh, you can go to the Every Ethne website, which is everyethne.church, and you can learn about the Centurion Project. And so that's uh, probably the three primary ways. ABWE, which is the global expression of our mission agency, and then Every Ethne, which is a North American expression. And then uh, the Centurion Project is the military expression of Every Ethne. Wonderful. Rich, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, Lord bless you in your efforts to disciple some soldiers that need it and see their lives used abroad for the kingdom. Well, thank you so much. It was uh, fun to hang out with you guys today. Thanks for listening. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com or check out abwe.org slash podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. To ask a question or suggest a topic, email alex at missionspodcast.com, and we'll see you next time on the Missions Podcast.